Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Bernard, and with me as always, Revenue Cat CEO, Jacob Biting. Our guest today is Ben Thompson, author and founder of Stratechery. For almost a decade now, Ben has been writing and speaking about the strategy and business of technology and its impact on society. On the podcast today, we talk with Ben about all things app stores, from Apple's revolutionary launch of the App Store in 2008 to the monopoly-like powers both Google and Apple wield today. With multiple lawsuits filed, government investigations ongoing, and developer sentiment at an all-time low, we take an honest look at the challenges and trade-offs in trying to bring two of the world's largest companies to heel. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm good. Uh, good, good that we could finally make this happen. Looking forward to it. Yeah, Bucks won the playoffs. You uh, made it through two weeks in quarantine with two kids in a hotel room, right? I did. I did. I came out the other side, so it's, it's all good. <laughs> oh, congratulations. I've been quarantining for 18 months in, in the Midwest, and uh, I'm not sure I'll ever get out. <laughs> Uh, so you did it right. It's a little different when you literally can't leave your room. Um, but, uh, (laughs) by force of law, (laughs) yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, so I, I guess a little inside baseball, but, uh, Ben, Ben was in the U S for a few weeks when, uh, the bucks were winning the, uh, NBA championship. And then, uh, he's based in Taiwan. And so, in uh, coming back to Taiwan, they enforced two weeks. You, you couldn't even leave the hotel room. So, you, like, like they brought you food and yep, they brought you food. You and, opened the window uh, for a minute, or like uh, the window opened about three inches. So, sort oh uh, of like folding out. It's a classic Taipei hotel room, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it probably faced a brick wow. wall. <laughs> uh, the view was the view wasn't wasn't terrible, fortunately. Um, so that was a good thing, but. Yeah, I, I, it, we I, we usually go back every summer, um, and we actually weren't going to this summer. But then there was an outbreak here, so things kind of got locked down. So I was like, "Well, if we're going to be locked down, might as well, <laughs> might as well save the <laughs> lockdown for when we come back." And um, so it was great; it worked out perfectly. Yeah, being back in the U.S. was great, uh, and you know, I think the the U.S. I think doesn't even as bad as it feels. And I know Jacob was just griping. You have no idea how good you have it. I think compared to the rest of the world, and. Um, and so it was great being back. Obviously, the you know being there for the playoff run was was incredible, and uh, and yeah, I just had to sort of like endure it coming on the on the way here on the way coming in, and that's fine. We're all we're all good. Back in my office, kids are in school, so it's it's good to get going. Nice and, and live to podcast about it. So that's right. Uh, <laughs> so we talk about the app store today, I suppose, or app stores. I was just thinking how how brilliant of a move that was for Apple because it's so awkward to write about app stores. Because the only way to differentiate between App Store, the App Store, and App Stores is through capitalization. Yeah, uh, it's, very, it's it's very irritating. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's definitely a, it's something that I've struggled with uh, in, in the past. On the other hand, there's really only two that matter, and so that uh, it, you can just say App Store and Play Store, and 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 sort of be fine. That's yeah, the, the easiest way, right? To like, yeah, make it general, at least for now, right? Um, probably for the foreseeable future. So speaking of the app store, I did, I, I wanted to dive in um, and, you know, I, as I told you, Ben, I mean, my, my goal for today is to, is to talk about the things that, that matter no matter what happens with regulation, and everything else. Cause there, there's, I mean, from the EU and UK, the U S government, 
lawsuits. I mean, and don't forget what, what state was it? Was it Arizona that was trying to oh, yeah. legislate at a state level as well? Yeah, like like regional legislation. So th- there's so much going on, and ultimately, what's likely to happen is that you know different countries are going to have different laws. Different states might even have different laws. Like it's going to be a mess. So what I wanted to try and do today is is just talk through all the all the trade offs. You know, there there's a lot of things going on, and there's a lot of proposals for how to solve the different problems that different people. Some people think are a problem, and some people don't think are a problem. Uh, and then some people think one solution, some people think a different solution, and so. In each of those are multiple trade-offs, multiple challenges. Um, but I think just talking through all of that helps frame the conversation and, and I think will help help folks understand kind of how things may play out as different regulations get passed. Yeah, this is very important for my strategic five-year planning as CEO of Revenue Cat, <laughs> this conversation. So. I would back up a little bit because I think it's easy to get stuck in the minutia of sort of regulations and specific rules and all those sorts of things. And I think what's useful and important and is a driving factor for, you know, why I, I mean, I started Shekri in 2013 and, and I know you were reading back then, David, and I, I appreciate it, but, <laughs> and I think, and you were reading cause I was really the only person writing about the app store and, and you know, now everyone's talking about it. And back then I remember, I remember there was uh someone like a year or two after I'd gone subscription only, someone wrote about, oh, look at this newsletter thing. Seems interesting. And they did like a a breakdown of like a, one of my newsletters. And it was pretty funny because I actually uh, had the wrong year and the date. It was like February. And I, had, I didn't update my, like I'm, my, my, produc- <laughs> my production was not as, uh, as was not as automated as it is today. But, um, but one of the things he said, I had three different items. He's like, oh, he talks about news of the day, this. And then he has this cute little fascination with that, with app stores. And, it, and he's like, oh, it's very cool. <laughs> It makes it feel like a very personal thing. And that was sort of the prevailing wisdom. Like, why, like, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. And the reason why it matters, why it matters today, why it mattered then, is that Apple is basically setting the rules of an economy. And that's important in and of itself, but it's also important as mobile becomes the economy. So you you have a situation where Apple is actually deciding from on high what can or cannot work. And just broadly, philosophically speaking, uh, I think history shows that's generally not the optimal way for an outcome uh, (laughs) as far as an economy goes, to have sort of a a centralized decision maker. And just to give an example, let me give you an example right here. One one of the, uh, and not to say this is dispositive, but, but, uh, you know, there's controversy going on right now. I know this isn't going to come out for a few weeks, but there's controversy going on about one password, right? About this, this app and they're going to Electron and, and they're being an enterprise app and all these sorts of things. And be like, oh, you know, they were a great consumer app. They're really focused on the user experience. Now they go the other direction. They took VC funding, blah, 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 blah. And the number one company in my estimation, I mean, beyond one password making their own decisions, but is Apple. And the reason why it matters is Apple competes with them. They're 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 making a, they're improving a, a, a something that that goes with the thing. Apple's product is going to be is already built in uh, in, in in the the keyword ma- or uh, what's it called um, keychain, uh, and they're making it much more user facing and, and and fully featured. And Apple has and, and well, one password for many years could do the charge for every version on desktop, which is the way productivity software 
has charged and made money for decades, as long as the PC has been around, they also need to have mobile apps. And can they do that on mobile? Not really. And so they're stuck in this scenario where we're actually, no, we should, we should build a backend service. And they start with iCloud syncing, Dropbox syncing. Oh no, we'd have our own service. And there are legitimate reasons for that from a user experience perspective, but there's also a business reason, which is that's how you manage to charge for software on iOS because you can charge a subscription fee to have a cloud service. And oh, by the way, we should probably turn off iCloud syncing, which people are upset about, right? Or, or, mm -hmm. or Dropbox syncing, because we need people to force it into our service. And everyone's mad at this company. And meanwhile, Apple's not developing their UI frameworks on Mac OS. They're making it so that if you want to compete, you need to go cross-platform because Apple's competing with you. They're restricting the sort of business you can run and not allowing the core productivity app business model that is proven to work for many, many years and poor run one password is all of Apple's fans yelling at it. Like what, what, why are you being so terrible? And now again, the, the, I'm oversimplifying what I'm sure is a complex situation, but the, the point is this is the water we're swimming in. We are swimming in water. That is Apple deciding the fundamental rules of the universe as far as businesses go. And that's, fundamentally a problem in my mind. It's, it's a problem from a theoretical perspective, but it's a problem from an in-practice perspective. Apple has literally made multiple kinds of business models impossible. And it's particularly frustrating because many of the business models they've made impossible are ones that have been proven to work. We are looking at productivity company after productivity company. I mean, I wrote an article ages ago. Sorry to rant, but I wrote an article <laughs> ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> about how, why are there no great new productivity companies on iOS? And this was one of my big takeaways is the business model, it's just not there. It's how not do you, there how do you by define Apple like productivity company? Like, well, like, so for on the Mac, you had something like Omni Software, a classic okay, yeah. example, right? You build up and you, they make these, Software. these sorts of things. And, and they've done relatively well uh, uh, on iOS for a time. And turns out Omni Software is not doing so hot these days because as the market moves away and is increasingly centered on iOS, and the business model that they enjoyed for years on the Mac isn't there. The fundamental reality is what we know for a fact, and we can get into lots of the reasons and causes, and it's not just this, but yeah. it's one of the causes, is that there was a much healthier ecosystem for high-end, productivity, complex, involved apps on a far tinier platform in the Mac than there is on iOS today. And, and that's, to me, that's a disaster. Like and Apple will, 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 and it's as a fan of computers and a fan <laughs> of like cool software. It makes me sad that, that that iOS is still is honestly such a wasteland. And people will point and say, "Look, oh look at all the money that's made." Yeah, I, I'm happy that you can buy your gems and your your emotes and your in your dances. But it, it like if we step back and we actually start categorizing the money and where it's made and the sort of software that's incentivized to be developed. Are any of us proud of where the industry is right now? Say aspects of it, yes. <laughs> like, well, you, let me throw myself in front of this bus a little bit. Says the guy who has a yeah. you know a, a incentivized unicorn to, to, to business have that's based yeah. on overcoming all the Apple shortcomings. I mean, well, not all, but but I mean, I think I think in some you know, in some one one thing I'll challenge with that argument is that like anytime. Anytime the environment changes, the economy changes, the way the marketplace changes, there's going to be winners and losers. And I look at Omni and it's like, yeah, you said, I think it's oversimplification to blame it on the app store. You know, like Google Docs was also a thing. Like there's lots of trends that could have caused oh, a no, company they, they, like yeah, that to die. Wait, 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 I, or not die. Sorry to Omni folks. I regret naming a company because it's easy. 
This is exactly yeah. what happens. People latch yeah. onto it. And there's a million problems that Omni's encountered for sure. For sure. The, the, the fact of the matter is, though, there's a reason Omni always comes up in these conversations because there's no one else. How is it that we got a platform that has all these capabilities and has this massively larger user base and still the go-to example for an independent software maker is like Omni and Panic. And that, it, like companies that have been around for 25 years. And, and I'm going to push back at you and you're wrong, Jacob. <laughs> yes. This isn't, no, this is not a, oh, that's what happens sort of situation. Apple defines the rules and they set up rules that basically make these sorts of businesses impossible. Like th there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So you can't wave your hand and say, oh, that's the market at work. It's not the market at work. It's it's a it's a dictator at work. Well, I wouldn't say they're they're not impossible. Like there's nothing there's nothing that changed, right? Like the um the 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 world that Omni sold into still exists, right? Like they can no, still sell they can still no. sell their software just no. like they did the entire fifteen years model, ago. No, that's wrong. The entire like you you can't say that pretend like the Mac and and and, and Windows are what they were. Like we spent twenty years talking about how they or fifteen years how they've been disrupted by mobile. The, the reality is, is there was a working business model for productivity software that was proven to work. That business model is impossible on iOS. It's literally True. not allowed. And so you're going to sit here and say, oh, well, that had nothing to do with it. That had nothing to do with the fact these companies can't make a business or there's no new companies that came along. So you're, you're arguing that because, because, like, because OmniGraffle can't sell on iOS that that has killed their their Mac business, right? I'm sorry to use like Omni American, but <laughs> no, no, that's right. I, I and I'm sorry I brought it up. the The reality is that we can't pretend like the Mac has continued in isolation. The Mac lives in an iPhone world. Mm -hmm. Windows lives in an iPhone world. The, the, the and the response to you is why are there no major companies that have been built on since then that are productivity centric? Like the all the enterprise companies that exist are SaaS companies that are cloud centric, which is fine. Like that, that there's lots of things that lend itself to the model, but they're but they're 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 all like this idea of these these you know like and I think the one password point is interesting here. This idea of there being bespoke high end like what what do people want? What are people lamenting in this one password controversy? They're lamenting the loss of it used to be when you used a Mac, and I felt this very. Uh, I remember back when I worked at Microsoft and uh, I would tell people that one of the, I actually, Windows was not, I, I Windows is, is a great operating system. And people, I'm like, my problem with Windows is the third-party applications. And people are like, what? What are you talking about? I thought that was the Mac problem. And like, no, that was actually never the case. Like, yes, for a lot of like wine and business applications and specialized things, there'd only be Windows versions. But when it came to personal productivity, what made the Mac awesome was you had all these interesting, distinct applications that were super bespoke, mm. that fit in the operating system, that were labored over with love. And that market never developed on iOS because that market's expensive. It costs money to do that. It's hard to do. You need to have a business case to do so. And the, and the reality is, is in any business, and you should know this given the analytics tools and stuff that you do, and I'm, I'm sure you do, like you, you have to be able to make money from your existing customers. All your, your biggest right. issue in money and where all the VC money goes in all these startups is customer acquisition. Customer acquisition is hard, it's expensive, and it gets harder over time. If you don't have a sort of network effect that increases the inherent value of your application, your marginal customer, every marginal customer is harder and harder to acquire because your app is less and less in their sweet spot. So you have to spend more money to get them. Once you get a customer, 
what you have to do is you have to make money from that customer on a recurring basis over time. Now, obviously, no for lots here. of software, that, <laughs> that the subscription model makes sense, right? And the market has sort of accepted and become fine with cloud services are going to have a, a subscription model and people are somewhat okay with it. Some people still grumble. But the, the, this idea of trying to fit a application, one that's primarily de- device-centric, one whose value is in the quality of its user interface and the, and the interactions that you have with it, to say that should be paid for by a subscription, is it's a fundamental mismatch of the way people are experiencing the application versus the way they're, they're paying for it. And we had a model that works. The way that people get money from recurring customers is they sell a V1, and then they put their heads down, and they do all the work of building a, a V2, then they put it in the store or put it online, and people pay again. The same people pay again. I mean, how many of us have software that we paid for eight, nine, 10 times? And we're happy to do it. Like I remember in the days of being on the Mac, a new version would come out. And it's like, yes, I can't wait to give you my money because it's going to be fun and cool and interesting. And what makes this so frustrating from the Apple perspective is Apple ought to understand better than anyone that different kinds of software, different kinds of work should have different kinds of release cycles and different kinds of monetization. Mm. Like there's a like finished products. Apple does an iPhone, everything they do. That's why they're like, Apple doesn't do agile. Like it's like, it's like, well, much Mm. more of a waterfall sort of approach where, why? Because the software and the hardware has to be ready to go in September. Like that's, it's a deadline. You saw that this week, they cut the FaceTime sharing share time thing because that's the choice you have to make because it has to launch in September. When that phone comes out, it has to be as perfect as it can possibly be because, because they only get one shot at the hardware, right? And once it's out, it's out. And so one thing that Apple, I think one of the reasons why Apple struggled with services is because they took that same approach to online services, right? Do you remember the mobile me debacle, right? What was the problem with that? Never forget. They tried to launch this fully featured, massively involved, complicated application like it was a phone. On web objects. <laughs> but but, the, but the, the problem was the mindset. It was like, okay, here it is. It, and it's done and it's fully baked. And it's all, look at all, all these amazing demos we can do. And it completely fell over. Because when you're the good thing about launching something like a phone is all the variables are under your control. I mean, you're not going to get everything right for sure, but you, at least you have the capacity to sort of get everything right. When you're launching online, the number of variabilities are, are out of the roof. Like it's a, it's a combinatorial problem. Like it's an infinite mm-hmm. number of situations. Could be could be uh, you know if someone's phone's lagging, if they have a bad disconnection, if they're going like you just you have to build web services so they're sort of like iterative and self healing, and they fail gracefully, and they have multiple fail states, and stuff falls down, and you can update it on the on the go, and you can always and you would have, and that's where the agile approach sort of has always made sense. You're going to do sprints, you're going to do like just regular updates, you're going to keep moving things sort of forward. And and it honestly took Apple years to rejigger their 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 webs, their services side to actually work, like literally work, like day-to-day work to work in a way that fit with services. Like they had to completely change their thinking of how we do software development. And that thinking had to be different from their phones. How does this tie into apps? It's the same thing for for, for applications. Some applications are primarily web applications that yes, will have an API-driven app or something on those lines. And they're very iterative and it's primarily backend driven. And, and those make sense. And, and those very much make sense with the subscription model. And you're, you're accessing this sort of ongoing service. What has, what has gone from this world, and again, part of it is just the world changing. I will grant you that. But what has gone from this world 
is the bespoke. We're going to make the best possible app that we can. And then we're going to put it together in a package and release it. And people are going to pay us for it. And it's gone, not just because of the rise of cloud services, which is absolutely part of it. And not just the rise of collaboration. And both those points get at some of the stuff that Omni missed out on for sure, just to make it specific. But that other world is not even possible. And to pretend like that doesn't matter to me, I think misses the point. And, and it's the it's the sound, it's it's what's under the surface of th- these angst-filled complaints about projects like one password or or projects like mm. that, that or Slack being electron or whatever it might be. People, and now Slack should obviously be electron. We can have a separate discussion about why I actually think the vast majority of people complaining about this are totally wrong. Um <laughs> but but I think people would feel better about these services being on Electron if they also knew, oh, we also have all these other cool apps that are bespoke and custom to the, that mm-hmm. remind me of the Mac that I used to have. And a big reason we don't is because Apple makes that impossible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna re-interject myself and jump in front of the bus one more time because I, I think I think to the late you you made a bunch of distinctions there, being like apps that are primarily back-end powered. And I would argue that the layperson can't tell the difference. The app gets downloaded off the internet. It comes to the app store. It's on my phone. It's magic. It doesn't matter if it's Google Docs or it's my phone. Connectivity is so ubiquitous now. I think the... And it's, it's why I think maybe we're in agreement that this Electron versus Coco argument is stupid because it doesn't matter if the thing delivers the value that the consumer wants. It It's effectively the same. Uh, and so... You know, when I I I do worry a little bit, it's like, yeah, okay, we 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 yearn for the halcyon days of downloading uh, zip files and these like beautiful installers where you just drag over the lovely icon made by Icon Factory, like that whole world. Which I would also, I think, I don't have the numbers, but I feel like it was actually pretty small, right, compared to like the amount of commerce that's being done on the App Store and selling more software to more people. So. Of course, but what is that money going towards? Like, like how much, like how much money is spent on productivity, particularly once you cut out, say, Adobe and Microsoft? What's ironic is we've actually gone full circle, and we're back in you know 1997, where the only companies that are making money on productivity software on the Mac are Adobe and Microsoft. I mean, it's it's a wild mm-hmm. sort of like turn of turn of events. And again, I'm not denying all those other fundamental changes. And there's a fundamental shift to cloud software. And like, there's all sorts of reasons why it makes sense for an application to be primarily web, Android, and iOS. And actually, in the long run, just web, except for the fact that Apple is kneecapping, you know, uh, browser performance on iOS, but that's a, that's a different <laughs> conversation. Um, but but the, so there, there's real secular factors going here. All I'm pushing back on is to to pretend like Apple's decisions here didn't matter and didn't have a, a an impact, I, I I think is just letting them off the hook. We're sitting here in 2022. Yeah. We're talking yeah. about decisions in 2008, like where where the, this equals and there's a certain amount of path dependence in this world. Like of course in 2022, Apple could add in uh, update pricing tomorrow and it would make no difference. Like the ship has sailed. It's over. But if they had shipped with it in 2008 and and there had been a development of that sort of market and that sort of expectation and understanding, then I think I, I we would be in a very different place today. So, so again, we're, we're, we haven't even gotten to the topics of our conversation. <laughs> oh, the I reason, think we have. <laughs> the, re, the reason to bring this up is I think the, the point I'm trying to make big picture 
is when you get into the details of specific things, you lose sight of really how broad the impact is of Apple's mm-hmm. approach. It's defining the laws of what is or is not possible, not just laws, like like literally what is or is not possible. And I, I think the people, it's underrated just how, again, it's the water we swim in. And so we're yeah. stuck fighting about like details, like oh, should this kelp plant be here or there? And forgetting that the entire like ocean is a decision made by people and and so many people in the ecosystem don't want to hold them responsible for those decisions. It, it, I don't know. I, I just, it's just been top of mind because, again, I don't know when this is going to come out, but this week everyone's flipping off this one password thing. <laughs> and, and it's like there's so many aspects of what's happening here that are actually due to decisions made by Apple. And no one's talking about that that aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you say they're not laws in the sense they're not written, right? And in and, and in many cases, like, yeah, Apple doesn't. Uh, it, it speaks to like the danger of of reckless regulation as well. Like, it's very hard to predict. Like, Apple probably in two thousand eight didn't have that on the like costs factor when they were trying <laughs> to decide like how they built. Right? Like, oh, we're gonna kill this entire like cottage industry of great Mac software, right? Or we're gonna we're gonna limit its market potential over the next decade. Um, and uh, no, I, I disagree. You think, I think you, that you think they knew it's very hard. And I think it's maybe less the case with Apple today, but particularly Apple around that era. I was, I was at Apple uh, in 2010 when they started the Apple university thing. And this was like, Apple university is kind of a glorified HR program today, but it was, you know, back then it was, it was a much smaller team. It was like, I think focused we on like the top then. of the company, et cetera. <laughs> I didn't know you worked there. <laughs> and one of the biggest takeaways from that I got from being there was it was striking how everyone who had been there in the 90s was just fundamentally scarred and changed by that. And, and you mm. would have people bring up that wired cover of, of you know, Apple in, 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 Apple in the uh, crown of thorns and just unprompted. It would always come up. And, and there was this sense, very powerful and deep, that we can never let ourselves be in that situation again. And you go back to that situation, you go back to that that famous Steve Jobs keynote in Boston where Bill Gates sort of mm-hmm. looms over the stage. If you go back and, and you read and, and you read the whole thing, not just the Bill Gates part, but everything that Steve, you know, that, that Jobs says about, you know, we need to work like just because Microsoft, we don't need Microsoft to lose for us to win. We need to work together, blah, blah, blah. There's an aspect that there, and you think about the, the context, Microsoft and Adobe decided the fate of Apple. It was out of Apple's, it was out of mm-hmm. Apple's hands. And if Microsoft didn't decide to to commit to making Office, and if Adobe wasn't going to make Photoshop, Apple was done. Like they, they like they, even with Steve Jobs being there, anything they would have done. And 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 I think there was a what Apple took away from that was we can never be in this this situation again. We can never be in a situation where people on our platform, companies on our platform, are more important than we are. And. And this was, you know, I think this is probably when, when David started reading was, was one of my very first articles, but why does Apple not enable sustainable business on the app store? 2013, like, like, and, and, you know, I talked about how they made all these games. And, and to me, it was very confusing at the time because this was when like iOS versus Android still felt like a competitive fight. And it's like, mm. Apple has 
better frameworks. They have a, a, they have the cream of the they have the richer customers. They have all these developers that want to make these incredible sort of applications. And if you get into a and productivity applications create lock in because people get attached to a particular app, a particular way of working, and they want to use that. And like, why is Apple not doing everything possible to create the conditions for developers to make incredible apps that are only possible on iOS? And, and even if they want to go cross-platform, they wouldn't because the iOS frameworks and, and approaches and money-making possibilities is so much better. And, and I, I would, and I went back to that speech and it's like, because Apple would rather have bog standard games and bog standard applications that work the same everywhere, as long as it means they're never held hostage by, uh, they don't want that. They want lock-in on iOS to come from Apple. They never want lock-in to come from Microsoft or from Adobe or from a future Microsoft or Adobe that would come up on iOS. They, they want, when Apple says they want control, they want control their most important technologies, that means they want control of lock-in too. They, they want to be the one that decides, are you locked in or not? Because they can decide that and they will, they will never get in that position again. Now, again, this is a path dependency thing. I think if you go back to Apple today, there's not very many people left who are there in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I would imagine like that, that attitude is not necessarily there. But but I do think that attitude guided the early decision making around the app store, and and you roll forward those decisions fifteen years, and and here we are, and and so I think that's you know it's just this is one of those things where I do like going into history and going into companies and and, and like what really shapes them and their thinking and what they do. You can tell a very different story about Microsoft, for example, and like why why their approach to developers is very different. And that goes back to the earliest days of Microsoft as well. Like companies have these, these moments in time. Like Facebook is a famous one, right? Facebook, what was it? You know, everyone complained about the newsfeed, but everyone actually loved it, right? And so Facebook learned, ignore what the critics say, <laughs> look at the data, right? And like, and you see this, Google, same thing. Google's like, if we just build the best technology, we will win. And, 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 and they go into different markets like, why aren't we winning? We have the best technology. It's like, well, this market actually isn't the web where everything's accessible and wide open. You actually need salespeople and you need to make commitments. You need to not change your, you know, throw something out after two years. It, like you see this in company after company. They're, they're, they have, what does culture mean? Culture is when you do things without thinking about it. That's just the way you do it. Just the way you think about things. And Apple's culture is very fundamentally that Apple is in control. And they never want to be in a situation where they are not in control. And, and I think that's the core thing to understand about the App Store and how we got to where we are in 2022 is that was the guiding principle when, when it launched. And, and like I said, now here we are. In, in fear of uh, zooming back into minutiae, because I think your psychoanalysis of Apple is actually pretty accurate. I mean, <laughs> you know, I was there at the exact same time and there was... It's kind of interesting to uh, paint our perspectives. I was... On the the iPhone team, which was much the the average tenure of the folks on that team was much much less. Like we were all pretty much new to Apple, um, mm. and potentially kind of explains maybe some of like this like old guard new guard split. But I want to go back and ask you because I I kind of don't I I don't just don't understand. You know, you say this particular somewhat piece of minutia about paid upgrades being the way that the software got made and that was so important and it was part of their business model. And I agree, like it's just, they built their cycles around it, you know, every year, two years, they would release a new version and they'd add some features and, you know, you'd re-up $90 or whatever it was. And I think Apple knew they didn't have that 
And then in 2013 or 14, whenever they liberalized, you know, they launched newsstand and then they said, okay, now you can do this with your content app. And then a few years later, they said, hey, actually pretty much all apps can do it within some like very minor requirements. Um, and I always took that as Apple saying like, hey, we're not going to do, we're not going to replicate this version box software. But if you just want to amortize that, you say like, hey, we're going to do one update a year. You can do it in 12 micro updates and you pay $60 a year. I, I guess I don't, Ben, how do you see that as so different? I think there's a couple things going on here. So, so one, speaking of path dependence, I don't know that Apple ever had really the capability to do upgrade pricing in the store, which <laughs> well, is built yeah, on I, this ancient I, technology. I think it was a like, we could get this done in one sprint kind of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but which is a whole interesting, another kettle of fish. Uh, I think the issue there, and so here's here's an example. That, I'll give you two examples uh, to sort of answer your question in, in an indirect way. And I will answer it directly after the give it two, <laughs> two examples. So number one is, uh, recall, I think it was OS X Lion, where Apple introduced a new document model, uh, where instead of doing save as or whatever, just save continuously. And if you want to do a different version, you should duplicate the file and blah, blah, blah. I remember. Yes. (laughs) Painfully, right? You remember painfully. Like, I haven't used pages since then. Like, I I switched back to Word. I'm like, yeah, I can't deal with, my mind doesn't work this way. I can't handle it. And and I know, and just for your commenters, yes, I know Apple, you can do option, click option, and get the save as, blah, blah, yeah, like whatever. Nobody wants I, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and why? Apple looked at this like, no, this isn't the way it should work. It should actually work this way. And they changed it. The problem is that, again, to go to this idea of path dependency, people had been working a particular way with documents for 25 years. And even if you say, if we started in a vacuum, it should be this way, we're not starting in a vacuum. We're starting with a certain degree of, of user expectations and the way things sort of work. Here's another example. A couple weeks ago, Apple introduces this on-device scanning for, for CSAM, for this horrific material, right? And they're like, oh, it's not really on-device scanning because it's actually sending this packet up to the cloud and, and, and it's only if iCloud Photos is turned on. And, and, you know, and you know down the line they want to turn on an encryption for iCloud Photos and that's the expectation for it. And, and Apple, and I, I talked to Apple about this and, they're very, very puzzled, like why people are upset about this. Like it, it's mm. clearly, it's clearly a better solution. And, and I, I was talking to 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 the the Apple person, and he's, and he's like, "Would you rather just? Would you rather we scan all the photos in our cloud?" And I'm like, "Yes, I would. I would actually <laughs> prefer that." Like I'm like, I'm sending it my photos to a different company to their computers. They're out of my hands. I accept that. I accept that reality. And the Apple person was honestly wow. shocked. They, they they're like, they're like, really? But that's less private. I'm like, my definition of privacy <laughs> involves me deciding what my device does, right? And and now I don't want to, I don't want to, that's a whole separate topic. But what ha- what's happening in that situation, I think if you step back, is Apple went back to like, oh, wait, first principles, what's the best way to do this, right? What's the way that we could design this system? And they discounted and ignored user expectations. And the reality is, is we've had an expectation that cloud services are going to have access to our stuff and scan it for for years now. And it's fine that Apple thinks it's not that's not good for privacy, but like that ship sailed. Like people like does is anyone in the world surprised that if you upload your photos to Google Photos they're going to be staying in the cloud? Like that's on the tin. That's like that's, that's, that's what they do, right? And Apple's like, "Oh no, actually privacy should be this way." And and they're trying to create this entirely new way of doing it and it's not that they're wrong per se, it's that there's a path dependency here. People already have an expectation of all things work and people's broadly speaking are okay with the with uh, some random company's cloud looking at their stuff 
but my device is my device. And, and, and again, if you get into the fine details, you say, okay, I get Apple's point of view. That makes sense. It actually is quite secure. Like it, it, like there, there's, there's arguments for it, but they looked over and ignored this sort of path dependency factor. So let's get to subscriptions. Apple <laughs> comes out finally after five, six or seven, eight years, whenever it was, it's like, okay, no, the, the solution for productivity software is you can charge a subscription. And I was a part of this. I wrote an article, another article early in the, in the, in the app store or, or when I first started Checkery saying that subscriptions are the obvious business model for productivity software. And this was, uh, I think when Adobe was, or was about to transition or going to transition, I'm mm -hmm. like, this is by far the way it should be because why you're using these applications every day. You're getting use from them constantly. Like it makes sense that you're actually paying for the value you're, you're gaining over time. And it's actually, you, you get a match of the supply and demand curves where they align much better. And it's a better deal for people that use occasionally and people that use it all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And Agreed. from a, thanks man. Have nice happy on. <laughs> And, and the thing is, when you have uh, enterprise businesses who have people whose job is to literally think about this, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, let's sign me up. Let's do it. I want to add that ongoing support. I want to add that going, going experience, that ongoing expectation. The problem is in the consumer market, you had a certain way of doing things and a certain expectation that had built up over decades. And the reality is that consumers, and we see this not just with apps, but in all sorts of things, especially at that time, were not really used to and comfortable with this idea of paying subscriptions for, for, for their stuff. Now that's changed for sure. I, I would say trajectory is, I would like to think that I helped that change along by, you know, but there's a, uh, but there's an expectation and a, even if it makes sense, if you look at it super analytically and super rationally, the reality of a marketplace is in the consumer marketplace in particular is that's not how people think about it. It's not how people sort of approach the market. They, they have an expectation of paying something and then it's mine. And even though, to your point, software needs to be updated and it almost all software needs a cloud component now and it has the constant connectivity. And, and I think that just people weren't ready for that. And, and again, we're getting there now where people have an increasing willingness to pay subscriptions. But the problem is that we had a decade. It, it took a long yeah. time to get there. And this entire universe and expectations gone. And, and what you see is all these, all these new consumers that come along, they don't care about bespoke, beautiful, wonderful apps. And, and that's why it's, it's kind of a shame because it's not coming back. Like that era is gone. And, 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 you know, and the reality is if you're a business, whether you're like, you can either adapt like one password or die. I'm not saying Omni's dead, but like, struggles significantly because the reality is, is the world has moved on. And when I look back at that, I mourn it. I'm sad that that world's gone. I don't think it needed to be gone, but I think it's gone because Apple's decisions, but we are now uh, 52 minutes in. Uh, <laughs> and this was only a precursor to what we were supposed to talk about, which was, I'm, you know, I'm satisfied. We can, we can segue. <laughs> no, the reason, but the reason why I want to start here is I think, Apple's power is still underrated. Like people get so obsessed about the 30% and they get so obsessed about these different things. And those are sideshows. The reality is that there is, we, we don't actually know what the best business models are. We don't actually know what the best way to monetize apps are because we've never had the real, like it's never been tried. Yeah. 
And, and, and to your point, I, I think that if you, if you look back at had Apple not made some of the decisions they made and we had the flexibility as developers to experiment with different business models, things could look much different today. Omni could have experimented with with the update models, they could have done different things and things would have ended up differently. And, and to your yeah, point- I, mean, I, I think, to be honest, I think to, to Jacob, defend Jacob, I think Omni is probably in trouble anyway. I think because they were so- <laughs> We're going to get nasty so letters resistant. from some Omni person. And I, I apologize. I've used your software for a long time. Big fan. But, but, what, <laughs> but where we're at now though, is that with the subscription business model, we are starting to just now finally start seeing this, this new shift. Like as, as you were saying, consumers have- become more accepting of subscriptions. And so like a great example that, that you might not even be aware of, we actually had the founder on the podcast on the, on the last episode that might come out after this one, but um, is Photo Room. They're, they're essentially unbundling Photoshop and allowing you to create professional quality photos right on your phone. So it, it, uh, they use AI to remove the background. They let you, so people are using this for Shopify shops and other stuff. It is productivity visual software that's this kind of prosumer and, and it's incredible. They, they do a fantastic you would job. Never, you would never put it on a shelf next to Photoshop, right? Yeah. Like, and that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. But they're, but they're unbundling Photoshop. And I, I think we're, we're getting to, we're getting there as far as, um, as far as new productivity software being able enabled by the subscription model. But but your point is, and this is what I want to talk about on this podcast, is that is that Apple's iron fist ruling of the app store is preventing experimentation and preventing developers from trying new things, trying different business models, uh, you know, experimenting with APIs in ways that Apple doesn't think are uh, are kosher, and there's just there's so many ways in which Apple is continuing to limit the entire marketplace, the entire economy. And I, I like that you kicked it off talking about how important all of this really is. It's like this supercomputer we have in our pocket that we all spend, you know hours on every day is too controlled by one company right to the future for one company to rule it with such an iron fist and so yeah before we get dive back into the minutiae i mean i i i did want to step back and and talk about you know 2008 when the app store was launched you know i i launched my company in 2008 i i worked as an indie developer for 13 years completely supported by app store revenue from my own apps that I created in coordination with developers with no software experience, with nothing other than just thinking it was a cool opportunity. So the App Store did enable a whole new set of opportunities for developers, a whole new class of software. And we're talking specifically about productivity software but we're leaving out the Ubers, the Facebooks, the Airbnbs, and so many other incredibly innovative things that have been empowered by Apple's platforms. Right, but that's, but that's the thing. The, the, all, all the innovation, by and large, has come with apps that have monetization models that are, don't run into App Store restrictions. <laughs> yeah. No, they don't run yep. into App Store restrictions. Like, it, yep. it makes your the point. The billion-dollar companies, right? The, the lion's share of them, the big ones, they're, they're, they're outside of IAP, right? That's right. And we're just now starting to see the Bumbles, the Duolinguos, the Calms, 
that are finally in 2021 actually becoming those billion-dollar companies. E-tax 30% off the top no. for a decade. That's what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, no, that's the issue. You have to be so big to overcome that 30% barrier. I mean, you see something like Roblox. I mean, like, which, by the way, uh, hilarious that that's not an app store, but other stuff is. <laughs> um, the, the uh, like, they're, they'll, they're still losing unbelievable amounts of money and would be in so much better shape if they didn't have that 30%, right? Like it's just like, but that's a company that's been around since 2006 and they've just IPO'd and, and and they have so many, like they're so big compared to any sort of relative, you know, similarly sized company from like 10 years ago. But why, why is it taking so long? Why do they have to get so big? Why did, to make it? Because they have to overcome this 30% barrier and you can do it, but it's it it just raises the bar so so much higher than 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 it, than it would be otherwise. And and to your point, David, I think the you know yes, we're getting to that model, but we would have gotten to a workable model faster, and I think more models without these sort of restrictions, the, these restrictions in place. And you know, go to go back when you started in two thousand eight, and you were all over this, and you know, I've always been very impressed with with the way you sort of saw this opportunity and seized it. And where did 30% come from? Why did it make sense? It made sense. Remember when the app store started, you bought software, right? Like you, <laughs> you put it in there and you, and you paid for it. And there was no in-app purchase. There were no subscriptions there. And that actually sort of fit the world as it was. There was sort of like freeware online and there was some software that you paid for, right? And so the, the irony of all this complaining is that Apple actually started with the old model. Mm. The problem is that that was it, right? The, 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 <laughs> and it didn't work. Update. <laughs> like, well, no, I guess you could, for lack it, of updates, it didn't work because right? you couldn't upgrade. Like that's yeah. like if you were there early, you could ride the growing user base. You could constantly be getting new customers, right? There was, you know, uh, everyone needed a mirror. I, that's that's the after years <laughs> I always remember, David. But um, <laughs> but there's there's uh, you know there's there's and so you could ride that wave. The problem is what happened when the easy new customers stopped? You had, you, you had no way yeah. to monetize your existing customers. And so, and then Apple introduced in-app purchase uh, and, you know, and the rest, you know, and then and then they forget a lot of the App Store restrictions came after in-app purchase. Like yeah. it was still relatively, like you could buy books on Kindle for years in the App Store. It wasn't until Apple introduced in-app purchase and then I think Microsoft or uh, not Microsoft, Amazon ran a commercial that showed that if you bought a book on iOS, you could also read it on Android. And Apple lost their crap, and they're mm. like, "Like, uh, why? Are, like, this isn't cool." And then they came back to 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 Amazon and cut it off. And that was sort of the turning point. Was I think it was 2012? They 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 forced them to take out an app purchase, and um and and the restrictions have you know that that was. That was the end. Like, and I don't know, David, be interesting from your perspective. It feels like 2008, 2012, that was the era of innovation. And maybe it's a coincidence that Apple's crackdown coincided with the real sort of like, that was the end of the, of, of the wild west. And, and now it was, it was big companies and it was scamming games and, and everyone else just sort of had to, had, had to muddle through. I mean, it was the middle ages or the dark, dark ages, right? The, I would say 20, 2012 to, to 20, I would say now until the, I think what we're seeing is a renaissance. Or I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'm going to oversell no, it because I'm well, shilling for no, this model. No, but no, like, no, let me, let me, let me, let me blow smoke up your guys' brand. Like what your company I think is critical to 
the emergence of sustainable models, particularly for productivity sort of applications. And, and the fact that, you know, it, it's, you know, the fact that you, you solve all these issues and, and honestly, this gets at what, what the other problem with Apple's control, Apple's actual APIs and solutions for, for this stuff is terrible. Right. And there's no, there's no acknowledgement that people have to have an Android app and they have to have a web app and you need a way to sort of mm-hmm. make all this stuff. Well, they work. don't want that. Right. Like they, they don't, they, they, they deny that reality. Right. But if you, they didn't want that, they should have made it possible to build sustainable iOS only businesses a decade ago. Like it's like Apple is like stuck in this worldview where they deny decisions they made a decade ago. And, and the problem is that ship sailed and, Every developer that wants to build a sustainable business is obviously going to be cross-platform and Apple's not going to lift a finger to help them. And by the, even if you're only on Apple's platforms, things like subscriptions and matching receipts and all these sorts of things are going to be extremely difficult and not well-developed it, as happens. In, it's like your cable company. If the cable company doesn't have to compete with anyone, they're going to give you yeah. crap customer service because why not? It's the same thing with Apple. If they don't have to compete with any payment providers, why, why do they have to have a, a great a great system. They don't, you're stuck with it. And, uh, and, and it, uh, like, that's why like, I, from the beginning, I, David actually came to me before he went to work for you. And he's like, what do you think of a revenue account? I'm like <laughs> massive fan. Like it, it, it just because it's solving such a critical pain point. Um, and, and it's one of those situations where I think people didn't fully appreciate what you guys were doing because people have it's always the discounted the app store. No, they right? haven't, they, they, they haven't appreciated one, they haven't always appreciated the app store. And two, people were so down on apps ever making money other than games and stuff like that. Um, just because to your point, it was the dark ages, right? It was, it, yeah. it was so rough. So um, I'm a huge revenue cap fan and that, and so I, it, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm, you know, very happy to be here. And we'll, we'll clip that for a lot of our content marketing. Thank you. Uh, uh, <laughs> I do want to, I want to refocus the conversation because th- there's some things I really want to talk to you about. So we spent an hour kind of talking about a lot of the problems and kind of setting a, a, a mindset of why it matters. But what I really wanted to talk through is that there's been a lot of solutions proposed from the Open App Markets Act to you know regulation regulators poking around, and we we I, I think it's fairly well established, you know, even though we spent another hour on it, um, that it's a problem, <laughs> that Apple wielding this much control is a problem. Google, Google following suit in, as part of a duopoly is a problem. So there's, there's a lot of proposals for how to solve it, but each of those proposals then come with, with trade-offs, with, with uh, a, a lot of potential for unforeseen downsides potential for consumer harm, potential for so many different things. So what uh, I want to do... Uh, capture, right? It's basically in some ways like it will entrench them, right? If, they're, if they have laws written towards them, it gives them opportunities to build around it and become even further entrenched. Yeah. So, so what I wanted to do is, is talk through some of the solutions. Like where do we, where do we go from here? Like what, what solves this? And, and I think there, there's a few ways to think about this, not just... Um, you know, laws being written in regulation, but like, what could Apple do? So, so, so the first thing that that's always top of mind, and you were just wrapping up discussing it. So let's jump right into that one is, you know, both the EU, the open um, app markets act are hitting on, on payments. It, you know, that's a, a fundamental part of commerce on the app stores 
And I think one of your biggest gripes too, Ben, if I look at, you know, some of what you've written, it's the distribution. Apple has a, a pretty good case that they they deserve a, a toll, but it's the after the fact that I think you've you've made arguments that yeah, is a well, bit less. I think, so here, uh, let me tell you my, I think there's a distinction between my ideal solution and what may or may not happen. Um, and so my ideal solution is actually, and this really shows I'm not an absolutist on this because a lot of people, uh, are grumpy at me because I don't go in their <laughs> estimation far enough. My sol- idealized solution is what Android basically has been to date. And Android is going to change that, which is unfortunate. But what they've been to date is basically, if you're a game, you have to use in-app purchase. And if you're not, you can have a web view. That's sort of like in your app and you can kick out to your own website and you do your own payments there. So, so you can have like the Kindle app. There's a tab in there that says store that actually loads a web a web view which is the the you know amazon.com and you go there and you buy your book and you click mm-hmm. buy and it's there in your library spotify same thing there's a sign up screen you're actually on spotify.com uh it's been the same thing for like uh you know iac like tinder and stuff like that you actually click you're you're actually on a website and you're paying there and that money is not going to Google's not taking a share of that. And you can do, you can, and you can imagine for a productivity software, you can sell upgrades that way. You, like basically you do whatever you want. Like you have, you have full capability and you, there's a communication between the web backend and back to the phone, um, you know, that unlocks capabilities or whatever it might be. And then meanwhile, uh, and so what I like about this is, um, and my, I know my, my games developer friends will be grumpy at this, but I, <laughs> I, 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 I think that there is a legitimate case to be worried about, uh, sort of abuse of the, of the platform and sort of scams and taking advantage of customers. And particularly when you're dealing with products that appeal to kids and you can get a situation where if you, if you can load a web view in some game and you put your credit card in, in once, and then that button just keeps popping up again and again, do you want to add whatever? And you just, you, you keep hitting it and there's no sort of restriction on it. You can't put any limitation on it. I think that we're very quickly going to end up in a situation of, People are like, yo, bad situation. Not just kids exploiting people with gambling addictions, all, all of the sort of like worst actors that I think make a lot of money on the app store now. So yeah, yeah absolutely. But I mean, I, I, I'm not, there is some aspect of people need to take some level, I think of, of personal responsibility, but th- that obviously varies. You know, there can be addiction issues for sure, but there can also, but there's a little aspect of like, like kids aren't, they're not equipped yeah. to be making those sort of decisions. Right. And, and you can, and so I think, I think, and I, and just to go full circle, and I've been very anti-Apple here. I've always been super pro App Store. Like I, I think the the reality is that people became scared to. One of the reasons the Mac market was so much better than the Windows market is no one on earth wanted to install software, uh, install yeah. applications on Windows because they were scared. They're scared to get malware. They're scared to get viruses, whatever it might be. And so, every, you know, stuff went web only on Windows, you know, much earlier. And so the app store fixed that problem. It made people uh, eager to try stuff like just willy nilly heard about an app. I'll download it. I'll give it a try that it's been phenomenal. It is app. Apple's absolutely right. And fair to argue. They massively increased the market. They created huge opportunities for developers of all sorts. They, they made David, you know, this, this <laughs> rich mogul who's looking down on us, right? Up thousand and, there. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, and so that gets lost though, because there's some situation where, just because like what we're arguing about is not that Apple didn't create this market. It didn't make it possible for developers to make all this money. It's a question of, could this market actually be so much bigger? Could there be so much more money being made? Could there be yeah. so many more businesses? It's it's the, 
opportunity cost of what's been lost along the way. And that's always harder to measure, right? And Mm -hmm. it's always going to be a rhetorical advantage for Apple is it's true. They did make all this stuff possible. My point is there could have been much more and there's (laughs) been stuff lost on the way thanks to their policies, but that point should be left in. So my preferred outcome is things like games are still locked down. I actually think a lot of games would want to stay with in-app purchase anyway, because you want to finish that conversion when the user's in the moment, in the middle of it. You, you don't want to kick him out to website, kind of breaks the flow, breaks the mood, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, but so there's there's lots of, you know, reasons it could go either way. Uh, and and people are like, you know, the other thing is Apple Apple can compete, right? I, I, I'm actually fine and good with the sort of platform owner having inherent advantages. I'm okay if using in-app purchase is way easier than anything else. Like I, I, I so I, I don't think that Apple has to allow a different credit card processor into their in-app purchase API. Like mm-hmm. I'm fine that that's theirs, right? And that's the advantage you get by by owning. Oh, the I see what you're like, saying is using the like if StoreKit you could plug in, you could pass it a credit card token or whatever. Right, or exactly. Like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I'm fine. I'm fine with Apple owing the whole stack. And and Apple, like Apple, I. I'm an Apple customer. I like they deliver integrated products with great user experiences. I'm willing to pay for that. And I think Apple can sell a, a, a situation where, look, you should only buy from us, stay with us. It's going to be super secure. We're going to protect your stuff. And the reality is, is customers, there's a fair number of customers that will that will go along with that. I mean, I have people that won't subscribe to Checkery and they're like, I will never subscribe until you have an app purchase because I don't, I will not <laughs> purchase a subscription from anyone other than Apple so I can cancel it <laughs> easily. Um, uh, I will tell you actually I don't uh, I don't object to the thirty percent. It's the I don't get any information on my customers. Yeah, control, problem. right? Yeah, yeah. No, but it's not just a control problem. It, it's a I can't deliver them the full experience. I can't give them access to the website. I can't give them access to to different stuff. Like you're you're locked into a uh, app only sort of uh, existence. And, and that's, that's really the issue. Like I, I, like my, I send email for a living. I, if I can't email you, that's a little <laughs> bit of a problem. That, that is a solvable problem though, because you can require an account to subscribe and then take payment after they've created an account. But total side note. Well, but, but so, 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 so just say, so, so my preferred outcome, that's my preferred outcome is basically the, what the situation, I think Android has had it right. Android for frustrating reasons has gone in the other direction. We're going to become more like Apple. You have to now use in-app purchase for basically everything. It's a good sign of a duopoly, right? Like <laughs> it, it is a great sign, right? It, it really is like the, you know, and, uh, and so the problem and the concern I have and this regulation, you know, it's going to happen to you first, probably, but something's going to happen. It's going to go too far in the other direction in my estimation. Like there's yeah. going to be, you're going to actually get, you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And the reality is, is that's what happens if you don't self-regulate, if you don't sort of be reasonable, you're, it's like being an oak tree that rots from the inside. Like you're, you're going to crack and the whole thing's going to be down instead of sort of adjusting and doing what you should. And that's why it's so frustrating. And like, I feel like I banged my head against the wall for the last decade. The app store actually was important. I was right to be writing about it. In Apple, you just go back to those emails and it's almost like, you know, not to be overly, overly dramatic, but it's like, it's like heartbreaking to see these emails mm-hmm. of, of Apple internally saying, do we want to be in this situation where we're making billions and billions of dollars from this? Like, should we start, should we get ahead of this? And it's like, you know, yes, the road you not have. taken. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you think yeah. about it, like, 
how many things about Apple and you see Apple today and it's like, yeah, it's great for the stock price. They have the services narrative and it is important. It really is like because services revenue, the multiple on that is way higher than product revenue because it's recurring. It's, it's predictable. You know, it's going to be there for basically forever and absolutely has a massive impact on Apple stock price. It really, really does. And so from a financial perspective, from a shareholder perspective, and this, by the way, is why so much of the discussion online is very fraught because a lot of people have mm. Apple stock, and that, I think that might inform <laughs> their opinions. It really does. It really has been a massive win for Apple. And so when I put my business analyst I ha- hat on, it's very smart. And I, honestly, it's probably the topic where I get away from what checkers should be more than anything. Because at the end of the day, mm. I like Apple products. I like great user experiences. I like the idea of a company that wins by by being the best. And it kind of breaks my you know, teenage heart that love these products to see a company's incentives be warped the way they have been for Apple, even as I put my analyst hat on. I'm like, yeah, that that's actually pretty fantastic for your business. And I'm trying to spin these arguments that you're risking yourself in the long term, but it's kind of hard to argue that because the reality is it's really phenomenal for your business. It really is. When does the bow break? I mean, I, I, keeping your analyst hat on for a minute, I mean, I, I do think there's a strong argument to make that, you know, as these chips start to fall and as Apple is forced to allow developers to accept uh, off App Store payments, it's going to force Apple to compete. And that's actually going to be good for Apple. Like, if they dropped the App Store fee to 8%, 10%, there was, a, I think it was in the Epic trial, it came out that Netflix did a study and for, for them to be a net win using Apple's in-app purchase system, the, I, th- I think the study showed it needed to be at like 12% or something. So if Apple's forced to compete and developers are starting to accept off App Store payments and they are forced to actually reduce the rate, now they're more competitive and can win back some of the business they lost because when you get back to what you were saying earlier, consumers want to pay with their face. They want to make it easy. They don't want entering another credit card. They don't want to have to worry about how are they going to cancel their New York Times subscription and have to call somebody to cancel it. So like they, they, can, they can win on both fronts. And, and I think there's an argument to be made that they'll make more money by doing that and and continue to benefit the services narrative, not just lose money. Here's what I say, though. I, I, I want to believe that that's true, right? And, and it might be true. I, I, what I'm very cognizant of, though, is one of, the, one of the biggest sort of mental traps you can fall into is confirmation bias, where you, you, you're <laughs> like, because I, I, I want Apple to do that, and I want developers right. to make more money, and I want there to be competition in the marketplace. And, and so I want to find all the arguments that say, actually, this is going to be good for you, too. And the fact of, and so I'm, but I'm, that, that makes me inherently wary of mm. saying that's definitely going to be the case. Cause the reality is, is that they make a whole bunch of money doing what they do now. It's very easy to see, uh, again, developers really, you know, forcing users into sort of, a, a, another direction. Um, like, and so there's, you know, I, I just don't know. I can understand Apple not going in that direction and not sort of wanting to kill the golden goose, even if there are plausible arguments that they'll be better on the other side, like they're, 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 they're in so deep now that I can be sympathetic that it's not like, it's not going to change unless they're forced to change. 
Let's get back to what the golden goose really is, though. And that's where I actually proposed this in the podcast with Ben um, Baharin. Um, And I I like that you're making the distinctions between apps and games because I I think that's a valid distinction. And if you look at competition in the market, you know, Sony, um, Microsoft, you know, so many other game stores charge 30%. So leave games alone. They're 80% of the revenue anyway. So, you know, if you're looking at Apple's... It's a room full of app people, but go right. ahead, David. <laughs> no, but, but to your point, they wouldn't actually be risking that much money if they only did it on apps. That's why they should have gone this way a long time ago. Like, it's, it's the vast majority of revenue. No one feels sorry for the game makers, right? I think I was on yeah. an episode of Dithering. Uh, John Gruber made the point that, you know, like, like no, the only people that think it should be easier to, to, to buy, you know buy gems in a game are, are video game developers. Like no, no one actually thinks that. Right. <laughs> and I, I think part of it, and you talk, you know, I think Google felt like, you know, I think the Epic suing them, despite the fact they have side loading uh, was in part because they treat games differently. And so they felt like, well, no, we got to treat everyone the same. And I think that's a mistake. I think I I'm with you. I think that the, the solution here has always been to treat games differently the, the the companies that get sympathy and justifiably so are companies like Spotify, are companies that like are competing with Apple and uh, with with you know this massive disadvantage. Like the Spotify thing is so blatantly unfair. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's it's they have a way hilarious. better case than Epic, I think, in my personal it, opinion. It's, like it's hilarious that Apple thinks it's remotely okay that they can have a competing <laughs> service that doesn't that that and they're that, that has a thirty percent advantage. Right. Yeah, bundled I mean, into the OS, right? It's crazy. I mean, like that is the sort of advantage where you, and Spotify can't even say go to our website, right? That's the sort of example where someone at Apple has to like be stand up at a meeting, and say, "What are we doing here? Like, like, like what? This is a recipe for every single regular on Earth." to either find a law that says this is wrong or make a law that says it's wrong because it's so blatantly wrong. Well, I was uh, something trying trying to sneak in is, you know, but when, when does it break, right? Like what is it going to come? Is Apple going to, I mean, they've already been going, they, they're, they're ha- apparently very happy to go to the Supreme court and the cases that have been brought, they've had pretty good standing on and they, they seem like they're going to be just fine. But at some point, well, either it breaks or it doesn't, right? Is there anything in your in your you know years of psychoanalyzing Apple's culture? <laughs> like, what do you think it will take to get them to either self-regulate, or do you think they'll just drive this thing off a cliff until it until like you know the regulators set in from all directions? Is there something that can happen? You keep saying that I'm psychoanalyzing. I think is a little extreme. <laughs> I, I think the I, th- I I think the idea that Apple is uh or Apple in circa 2010 was still shaped by the trauma of the late 90s is a fair point. I'm not going to extend... Uh, right. I'm not gonna I extend didn't say it was bad psychoanalysis. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the problem is, is they have a really fundamental uh, business problem now, which is they make an absolutely gargantuan amount of money from the App Store. Like, it, that, that's... Yeah. And, you know, and you see the same thing with the the Google deal um, where they make all this money there. Like, they, they it's just... And all this money is is like pure profit, um, and it's not pure profit. They obviously sure. have costs, but it's it's very profitable. And so it's just really it, it it's really difficult for uh any sort of executive to voluntarily cut that off. It's like whereas like, oh, the government made us do it. Like that's you know, that 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 that's that's job mm. preserving in a way. Um so I think it's one of those and that's why I go back to you know that 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 <laughs> Phil Schiller email. Like th- they could have done it then. They could, but today, 
I think I think they're locked in. I think this is why you get such weird messaging from Apple sometimes because yeah. you have a cognitive dissonance going on where they're locked into this approach. If you were to take them and put them in a room and erase their memory and in a vacuum, say, look at the situation. Do you think this is a good thing for a company like Apple to do? They'd say, no, that's terrible. But but no humans. I mean, crap, I'm going to write in a psychoanalyst, but <laughs> like, you know, like humans don't do well with kind of dissonance. Right. And so what they do is they talk themselves into rationale and reasons that justify the business that they have. And so I think we're in a situation where Apple has really genuinely convinced themselves that they deserve this money, that their model is right. It, 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 and that's why they, they they now come across, and I think, David, you've probably experienced this, Apple comes across as more extreme about the App Store today than they did two years ago or four years yeah. ago. or six. It's, it's like they're getting more extreme. And it's like, why, why is that happening? Don't you see the regulatory pressure? Don't you see all the outrage? And, and I think it's it's this cognitive dissonance where as the money gets ever and ever greater, and as the contradictions become higher and higher, the need to convince yourself that no, actually, I'm doing the right thing becomes becomes bigger and bigger. And you get these situations where they're in there, like telling longstanding, well-known developers, "Oh, nice app you have over there." You know, we, we let that get, a, you know, like with the Basecamp thing. Hey, Basecamp's been in the store for a long time. We haven't made any money, and you better let you, you know, like it's like. Wait, yeah. are you threatening this old app because of uh, of this of this new app? Like, and this has been the tell, I think, because it's not just the policies; it's the way they've communicated the policies. It, it has gotten like more shrill. They're never apologetic, sort of right? No matter how big they step on it, like they're never. Apologetic. It's not just that they're not apologetic; it's that they're offended at the very <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> possibility that you think they did how anything dare wrong. You? <laughs> no, but it's just, it's a, it, it, and you you hear this from companies. I mean, last year when the hate thing went down, I heard from hundreds of developers because I put out a thing on Twitter of like, and some very very large developers. Like there is one developer that has that is has a free app uh, uh, in in the store, makes a lot of money, but not from the app purchases. And Apple's like, all your money that you've made is because of us. And you better figure out a way to see how you can get more money going to the app store because like it's BS that you've been in the store this long and, and, and we don't get anything off it. And it's like, wow. and this is at like the very, very high level. It's like, like what's like, yeah, and, why? and you would say like, Oh, come on, that can't be true. Except that when you hear similar sort of stories no. again and again and again of what feels like shakedowns, it's like, what's what, what happened? What's, what's going on here? And, and again, I'm sure if you went to senior leadership, like, oh, we didn't mean that. We didn't want to come that way. But the problem is when you engender a way of viewing the world and you have this persecuted complex that Apple tends to develop <laughs> and, and, and you know, everyone's so unfair to us. And, and we insularity. Yeah. And, and, and you have this sense of like, no, we deserve this. You start like you start acting that way to other people and 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 it's and you engender a lot of enmity and you get, and what happens to those developers? They start going to regulators. They start calling people up, say yeah. like, and they start calling their Congress people. And, and, and it's like, it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle that it's, it's a very dangerous place to be. I think your point I'm, t I've now, my, my, my priors have collapsed to the, the uh, regulation being the one likely outcome, just because then that, that point makes a ton of sense is that there's never going to be a person who can or will stand up in a meeting 
and stop the stop the presses, right? Like stop the train. Like nobody's gonna have that power. And and it's and it's whether they know it or not, it's easier to wait for an externality, right? And and they just hope that they'll be able to overcome it. And I don't know. Maybe there's I don't think there's a killing shot. I don't think there's something that's going to fundamentally destroy the app store or like totally break what we have and and maybe it gets worse and like growth gets it's limited but like yeah i well, i think, I, I think, I think that makes your business a ton because, of sense <laughs> wow no there's probably gonna be fragmentation right like yeah. where where the eu you have to treat it differently as compared to the u.s yeah. and and the shame about this is the more things fragment the more the cost is borne by developers right because they have like yep. And you start losing, and this is why it, the reason why the app store is personal to me. It's it's two parts. One is just my long, you know, long-standing history of being, you know, you know, I started out as an Apple fan. I wouldn't say I'm an Apple, like being an analyst is like you hear this from sports writers. Like they they were big fans of the sports team growing up. When you become a sports writer, then you're mm. you're not a fan of anything. It's like it's your job. <laughs> I, that's being Apple, right? When I was a big Apple fan. Now I'm not an Apple fan. I'm not an Apple enemy. It's just like it's my job, right? So I have to write on it, but. When it comes to this, there's part of that. Like I, I do feel this is a betrayal of what Apple always was and stood for, and, and that bugs that bums me out. Um, but there's also an aspect where the thing I'm really passionate about and is really important to me, broadly speaking, is I think the internet is fundamentally changing business. It's fundamentally changing the world, right? In all sorts of ways. And one of the really cool things of the internet, there's lots of downsides, which we're all aware of, but one of the cool things is this idea that anyone can sort of start a business can do something sort of anywhere. This idea of there being much more individual level entrepreneurs. And it could be things like Etsy, I think like, which is an amazing company in the way that it enables, like, like I bought, you know, I bought some Christmas ornaments. Like it's, it's awesome. Like it's yeah. someone who makes a living doing that. That's so cool. I can make a living sitting here in Taiwan, writing a newsletter. That's amazing. It's so great. That's happened. And I seeing what's happened with Substack and all these, like in, there's so much more better interesting writing on the internet now post Substack, like it's been mm -hmm. just an explosion and people are actually making, it's amazing. It's so cool. And the app store is absolutely part of this. And again, I love the app store. It's great. It created so many opportunities. I, and I come at this, it's like the tragic, I don't come <laughs> in this as a hater. I come at this as a lover, right? Like, like, <laughs> like this, this sort of thing. And what's so the problem and where I, the app store really bugs me is the hurdles and costs it puts up for the little guy, right? Like the big companies can deal with this complexity. Big companies can pay revenue cattle, a whole bunch of money. Big companies can have multiple development teams to, to build an Android version and build an electron version and build a, build a, you know, iOS version. And what doesn't work is being a little guy and like, Oh, wait, I want to build something that works. Like you think about from a monetization perspective at this point, you like you need to be cross platform, right? If you you have to support multiple payment, you have to support at at a yep. minimum. You you can have maybe one system for the web and Android at least for now, and then you have to have a different system for iOS. And and and, and like that's busy work. It's busy work that has nothing to do with an individual developer making a go of it. And people go to go back to one password. Oh, they took VC money. Blame VC money. They couldn't make it as a little company. Like the reality, yeah. you have to go big. Like, and, and Apple, Apple is such an, they created this opportunity space, but the way they ruled it is so big company friendly. And everything Apple does is all big company friendly. This whole advertising thing or the, the lockdown of, uh, uh, you know, ATT, 
right? Like that mm -hmm. kills the little guy, absolutely kills them. What Facebook did is so underappreciated and underrated was Facebook basically made a union of small app developers. And they're like, okay, we're going to create a system so all small app developers can have equivalent capability and power of a Google. And they can, op they can have the same sort of measurement capabilities, the same sort of advertising capabilities, and the little guy can really make a go of it. And that Apple just flushed that down the toilet. Amazon's advertising exploding. No problem. Because they're a big company. They have all the first party data that they need. They don't need to yeah. get like all this. Sort of, and, and this perspective, and, and I think the frustration is this, no, there's no one internal to Apple that even has this perspective that even, yeah, then they've, they've not lived it in a lot of cases. Right. Like that's always been my experience. No, not, not unilaterally, but it's yeah, I mean, been... it, there's, this is, we're getting into Apple criminology. I think there was a, <laughs> you know, a major executive of the iPhone that I think was more developer friendly that was pushed out the, at one point. The, the, our, our Lord and Savior, Scott Forstall. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I um, literally had the office above his for like a year. <laughs> yeah. It was great. I could, had, feel the, I could feel the heat. Yeah. <laughs> a complicated guy to say the least. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that Apple is just a big company that does stuff that's great for big companies. All of Apple's decisions and policies are amazing for Google. They're amazing for Amazon. Um, and frankly, in the in the very long run, it's going to be amazing for Facebook too. What's going to happen is Facebook's just internalizing everything. Every little player, instead of having their own little website and making go on their own, yeah. they're going to be on Facebook. Like and, and like it's like, oh, great, Apple, you 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 set Facebook back a couple of years and then just made them a million times stronger. Like, congratulations. Um, and uh, and I don't know, I I I'm on a full bore sort of like rant complaint, but I like like I said, it's like it's like a. It's just a bummer because this is the future. I think this is the economy of the future. And Apple started out being such a positive influence on that future. And to see them not lean into it, but to actually throw up ever more hurdles, ever more barriers, and to be a one-person dev shop or a, a very small dev shop that actually makes a sustainable go of it uh, is, to my mind, much harder than it should be. It can still be done but it's much more difficult than it should be in a different marketplace with fewer restrictions. Uh, ben, I think you've done it. I think you've, I think you've made me a, 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 a powerful love hater of Apple. Again, I've kind of been gotten soft on them. I think I've kind of been, I got so tired of the discourse, the 30% discourse that I was just like over it. I was like, what's going to happen is going to happen. But I think you're right. Like, I think their position is, is too important and too big for them to like wield it with, with indifference or, or, or to not like, you know, bring some ethics into it, right? Uh, well, it, it, the, 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 the weird thing is, uh, there's an, one of my favorite articles I ever wrote. I, it, it's funny. I have articles that are my personal favorite that maybe other people didn't really care about at all. But was um, I wrote it when they introduced the iPad Pro. And this whole presentation was about the hardware, hardware, hardware. And it's like, oh, we need to create this new hardware. And it's like, I'm like, this is Apple getting, like the iPads, the iPad is my it's such a frustrating product for me personally. Like my, my one of my all-time favorite, I think underrated Steve Jobs presentations was his second to last presentation ever where he introduced the iPad 2. And that was when they had the GarageBand, uh, it's particularly the GarageBand introduction. And and it was this amazing, just incredible demonstration. Like one, it was mm -hmm. mind-blowing at the time. And Jobs comes out and he's practically has tears in his eyes. And he's like, now anyone can make music. And, and, it, and it was this idea that the iPad created, it was something completely new to the world, right? And, and, and the challenge for the iPad has always been it's new to the world. Like in a phone, everyone has a phone, right? The phone sold itself. The iPad was something different 
and it the iPad more than the phone needed developers. It because it what does an iPad do? It transforms into something new every time you open an app. It, now it's an easel. Now it's a music making studio. Now it's a whatever it might be. And it was screaming out for that's the platform where I wanted to see the next panic, where I mm-hmm. wanted to see the next Omni software. Like companies that create these incredible apps that take advantage of these capabilities that never existed previously. And that just never happened. I mean, the iPad's a fine business today, mostly for surfing the web and do, you know, doing stuff in this Apple trying Google to make apps. it like a Mac replacement. <laughs> 90% yeah, of the apps like, I use on iPads, Google apps. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's such a bummer. And, 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 and it really crystallized for me with that iPad pro introduction where the problem Apple is your ecosystem control. It's not the hardware. The hardware is great. There's a reason people never upgrade their iPads. Apple nailed the hardware like 10 yeah. years ago, right? I mean, like the, the pencil's been great, but like but by and large, like, you know, and and it was, it was like, and, and the, the what I concluded in that article was there's product companies and there's platform companies. And, and the mindset and approach is just so different between the two. And I kind of said in that article, it would be great if we could have a system where Apple makes the products and then they hand it off to Microsoft and Microsoft <laughs> can run the platform, right? If Microsoft had an iPad sort of thing, I firmly believe the sorts and types of applications that would be available would be incredible, would be mind-blowing. And the iPad would actually be worth 10x what it is today. Mm-hmm. The problem is that the mindset of creating a platform you have to be flexible. You have to bend over backwards. You have to deal with a lot of loopholes, let things through. The sort of approach that doesn't lend itself to making beautiful, jewel-like consumer products, right? It comes back to what what are these companies like? And so Apple gains this platform by virtue of being the best product company on earth. And they still make amazing products. They're so clearly still the best, but the approach and mindset and total control and it's going to be perfect works against being a benevolent dictator, being against the sort of flexible sort of platform provider. And Microsoft, meanwhile, can't make great consumer products. And so they don't like, so they can't have a platform, right? And so even though they would manage it much better than Apple did, and it's, you know, that's just the way the world works, unfortunately. We just need to get Tim to get on stage with the big Microsoft exec behind him. Uh, just repeat say, history. We're heading it over. Yeah. We're heading it over. And <laughs> in Microsoft's Boston. in charge of the, of the app store. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, it, it is really frustrating though, and and uh, you've won me over too to the point of well, and, and you're the one who helped me really lose my app, Apple religion. You know, I was that <laughs> fanboy. I I became a developer as just a total fanboy, and and then you know made my living for 13 years as a developer. But as I've lost that Apple religion, and started to come around to regulation being the only solution, it, it's sad and frustrating that that Apple isn't doing more to self-regulate, to make some of the changes that are going to build the better platform that are not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and that's where, like, like you said, if Apple sat down today in 2021 and said, like, how should we run the app store? It would just look so fundamentally different than it does today. But they're, it, it, it's like technical debt. They have, they have strategy debt from 20, yeah, 2008. model debt when they first released the app store and then they have psychological debt from the nineties. And then (laughs) now they have business debt from 2016 ish when they switched to the services revenue. So they're fighting psychological debt, 
um, strategy debt, and then now this, this pile of cash that they can't turn away. And it's just sad to see them running it the way they're running and not fundamentally rethinking some of these things. And, and I am, as much as I've come around to um, regulation being the only solution, I do fear what you said earlier, that, that some of these regulations are going to throw the baby out with the bathwater and we're going to be worse off in the long run. Developers are going to be worse off. No, absolutely. I, that, that's what I was going to say. I, I, this is where I go full circle and kind of align with Jacob's position. I am terrified of, of this sort of regulation coming down. Like, and I think the point cannot be, again, this has been mostly negative on Apple and it's sort of just because that's where we're at for the app store. We can't forget the app store absolutely transformed developer economics. It, it And it transformed it by virtue of increasing the market size to a far greater size than anyone thought was possible. And it did that by engendering trust in consumers. And that trust is in a wide open marketplace. That's something that is going to be lost and it's going to be, and it's going to be a shame. And and I'm I don't know if it's a good thing. I I don't know. So the the, the I basically spent 90 minutes avoiding your question, Jacob. But <laughs> one, I don't I don't know when or if it's going to happen, and I don't know if it's a good thing. I actually I'm very very worried about it. I, that's why I just wish, and I've been begging Apple literally the entire run of trajectory, please change course here because there's no good outcome the way this is going. Either you're not going to get the judgment and fine distinctions of differentiating between games and different sort of services. It's going to be an all or nothing sort of solution. You're going to, it's going to be a, a sledgehammer, not a scalpel. And, uh, but alas, yeah. Yeah, we don't we want. well, we need to wrap up, but, um, that's what I was hoping to talk more about the scalpel tonight. You and I, Ben, will just have to write more about, um, about some of the scalpel things and, and, um, and continue the conversation about why, it matters and and why there is risk in these regulations. Just getting rid, rid of the anti-steering provision where you can tell people to go yeah. to the website would be something. Like it's and the fact that Apple won't even allow that is really <laughs> tells you a lot, right? No, yeah. I mean I can understand their argument, but the fact they won't even give on that point in the face of clear regulatory pressure really shows that there's something kind of rotten here and that. And really, to me, that more than anything, like shows why this is inevitable. Like that, that and, and what's rotten? It's the money. It's exactly what you said. It's the anti-steering provision gives them the ability to force people to use their in-app purchase, which helps their services narrative, which helps their stock price. And it also gives a worse user experience because people are open these apps and they can't do anything yeah. with them. Yeah, terrible. Right? I, thought, yeah. I thought that's what mattered. It blows my mind. <laughs> All right. Well, we 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 got to wrap up. Uh, thank you so much for your time. So, Ben, uh, do, do you have a do you have a blog or something that you can find? <laughs> you said, do you write anywhere? Online? You have a SoundCloud you need to pick. Yeah. <laughs> right after Shakiri, uh, there's free articles. You can just start with that. Uh, there's for pay if you want, and then uh, dithering uh, twice a week. Me and John Gruber, um, 15 minutes an episode, much shorter than this. Uh, we do talk about the App Store a lot, though. And uh, and I'll say that when I when I when I went from being uh, just a guy who wrote code to a guy who's like trying to build a business, uh, Ben, I listened to a ton of your podcasts and it kind of like was really a good good way good good mind opening content. So I really suggest anybody who's found this conversation interesting like really dig in. Ben's got some great stuff. So. Yeah, and I'm a big Revenue Cat fan. I, I like it's, it's just a product. It's one of those companies that needs to exist, and it's it's great that you built it. So. 
Well, uh, we'll see. <laughs> it doesn't look like it doesn't look like our the need for us will go away anytime soon. So yes, <laughs> this is this booming. All right, thanks, Ben. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. 